You're listening to a sermon from Darabin Presbyterian Church. Visit us online for more resources or to get in touch. All right, so the Bible reading today is John chapter 17, verses 1 to 5. And it's behind me, it's on the welcome card, um, and there should be some Bibles along the um, aisles if you want to grab one. So after Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father... Glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Awesome. Uh, If I haven't met you, my name's Aaron. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at DPC. It'd be great if uh, you could have John 17 open. And uh, if I haven't met you before, I'd really love to meet you after church. Uh, I'm saying this each week. I think a lot of weeks at the moment we're having some new people here. And uh, it's worth you knowing if you knew that I have a vision impairment and I'm really excited about meeting new people, but I often have trouble spotting new people. So if you're bold enough to uh, come up and say g'day, uh, I'd really love to, to meet you after church or maybe someone at the Welcome Hub might say, hey, come over and, and meet Aaron. I'd love to say g'day. Not that it's all about me, but I just would love to say hi. Uh, anyway, there's an outline of my sermon. Uh, if you like uh, sermon outlines, you can find that on the Welcome card that Stu mentioned earlier uh, from our website. Uh, please pray with me. Let's pray. Our Father, we, um, uh, we so long, as we've just heard read, to know the life that is found in knowing you, the eternal God. And so we pray, Father, that uh, by the power of your word and spirit, that you might so work in us uh, that we might uh, taste that life for the first time this afternoon or... Uh, taste it afresh, uh, that you might speak to us and draw us to Jesus, your son. Uh, In his name we pray. Amen. Well, uh, I wonder if uh, when you really pray, uh, what do your prayers reveal about what's most important to you? Reveal about your heart, if you like. And maybe you think it's a little bit strange to say when you really pray, Uh, But I suspect that most of you are a bit like me, a bit like me in the sense that I find sometimes in my prayers, I'm kind of going through the motions a little bit in my prayers. I'd say it's pretty rare that I don't, that I'm kind of not genuine at all about what I'm praying for or that I don't care about it at all. Uh, But there are plenty of times where I'm not kind of fully invested in it. My heart isn't really engaged with the prayers that I'm praying, at least not fully Then I'd say there are other times when I really pray. Maybe you prefer different words to that. But those are times when uh, I just kind of feel completely like I've reached the end of myself, completely undone really before God. Usually it's because I've been trying really hard in my own efforts, my own wisdom, my own strategy and plans, and nothing's worked out. And so I kind of get to the end of myself and think I've just got to throw throw myself on my knees before God completely and utterly dependent on him. 
Now, those are the moments when I'd say, I really, really pray. Where my heart is fully invested, in you, my heart is kind of wide open before God. And so if you listen into my prayers in those moments, you would hear what is most important to me. You'd hear my uh, deepest troubles. You'd hear about the things that have hurt me most deeply. You'd hear about my real insecurities. You'd hear about the, the deepest longings of my heart. So let me ask, when you really pray, what do your prayers reveal about your heart? What do they reveal about what's most important to you? About who or what might have hurt you most deeply? What do your prayers reveal about what you long for most? Now, of course, it's one thing to be able to listen in on someone else's prayers when they're really praying. The incredible thing about John chapter 17 is that we get to listen in on the prayers of Jesus, the Son of God. That's pretty amazing. Listening in on the prayers of Jesus, the Son of God, and not just any prayer, in fact, a prayer in his hour of greatest need. When Jesus is quite vulnerable and raw, his heart is wide open. Before God his Father, the hour of his suffering and death looms large and he's pouring his heart out. And so when we listen to Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17, we really do hear what's most important to him. We hear about what Jesus longs for most. It's incredible, really. In fact, before, I mean, I feel a bit daunted before preaching every time. But there are some passages in the Bible that I just feel particularly daunted because this is such a wonderful passage. There's no way I feel could ever do it justice in preaching on it. So I'm sorry about that in advance. Um, but it's pretty incredible to hear Jesus, the Son of God himself, lifting up prayers to God, his Father. Now, before we get into the details of the verses that Tracy read today, verses 1 to 5, uh, this is a prayer that uh, covers all of John chapter 17. Uh, so I just want to make two kind of big picture observations about what we hear when we listen in to Jesus' prayer, when Jesus' heart is wide open uh, before God, his Father. Uh, the first thing that we hear uh, is that Jesus, in this prayer in John 17, uh, is relentlessly focused on us as his people relentlessly focused on us as his people. Uh, yes, in the verses that we look at today, Jesus does uh, praise one small prayer for himself. Father, glorify your son. Uh, but if you scan through the rest of John 17, if you've got it all open, uh, you'll see there that in verses 6 to 19, uh, Jesus prays for his 11 apostles. Uh, those are the kind of core disciples who are with Jesus, uh, sharing this final Passover meal with him. Uh, in the upstairs room of this house in Jerusalem. Uh, so he prays for them in verses 6 to 19. And then in verses 20 to 26, he, he prays for people like us. People like us who would ultimately believe in him through the work of his apostles. So this is pretty incredible. Jesus is in a moment of trouble, <laughs> a moment of suffering, looking ahead to the cross, and yet, he's relentlessly focused on us as his people. 
But this is Jesus' great care and compassion and concern for us, for you. It's wonderful. Uh, the second big kind of observation about Jesus' prayer in John 17 uh, is that he's relentlessly focused on the glory of his Father. If you scan through verses 1 to 5 and, and the chapter as a whole, uh, it's pretty clear that, yes, Jesus prays, Father, glorify your Son. But that's not his main aim. What, Father, glorify your Son, that your Son might glorify you. What's Jesus most passionate about? What does he really long for? He longs to show the world his Father's glory. He wants the whole world to see just how beautiful and majestic and glorious the God who sent him into the world is, his Father who sent the Son into the world. When my heart is wide open before God, when I really pray, I've got to say my prayers aren't always as humble and selfless and loving as Jesus are. But typically, in those moments, my prayers are consumed with myself and my own problems. But in John 17, when Jesus' heart is wide open at his moment of real vulnerability and rawness and suffering, he's completely focused on others. So humble and selfless, focused on us and focused on the glory of his Father. So what do we see in summary about what Jesus longs for in verses 1 to 5? My kind of big idea for today's passage is that Jesus longs to show the world his Father's glory by giving his people the gift of eternal life that is found in knowing the eternal God. I'll say that again. Hopefully you'll see that this is a reasonable summary of the passage as we kind of work our way through it. What does Jesus long for? He longs to show the world his Father's glory by giving his people the gift of eternal life, life that is found in knowing the eternal God. So take a look first at the first part of verse 1. Right there we see that Jesus longs to pray to his Father. John says there, right at the start of verse 1, after Jesus said this, which I take to be everything that is the kind of a big block of teaching in John chapters 13 to 16. Jesus had lots of stuff to say to his disciples. After Jesus said this, what did he do? He looked toward heaven and prayed, Father. Now, this isn't the kind of main focus of this passage, and I don't want to spend lots of time here, but I do just want you to notice that what does Jesus do in his hour of trouble and suffering? When the cross looms large in his vision, what does he do? He lifts his eyes to heaven and he prays to his Father. He prays to his Father who he knows loves him, his Father who he knows delights in him, his Father who he knows is eager to hear his prayers and will always answer his prayers for his good. That's important because last week we heard that Jesus gave us this promise and that if you believe in him, believe that he was sent into the world by the Father, uh, that he was uh, uh, kind of crucified at the hands of the world who hated him by and large and rejected him, uh, that he was lifted up to heaven through his resurrection. Uh, if you believe this about Jesus, you can be assured, Jesus said, uh, that God the Father loves you. 
He delights in you and that you can bring any prayers to him whenever you want. And he will always hear your prayers and answer your prayers for your good. So there's a real encouragement here, isn't there? In our hours of trouble and suffering where we feel completely helpless and undone and we just want to curl up in a fetal ball and cry, well, we should do that. But we should also lift our eyes to God our Father, knowing that he loves us and that he's eager to hear our prayers and that he'll answer them for our good. A second, we see that our Jesus longs to show the world his Father's glory. In the rest of verse 1, you see there, uh, let me find it in my notes, I've gone off script. Uh, after this, uh, Jesus looked towards heaven and he prayed. Uh, <laughs> Second half of verse 1, that's what I'm looking for. Uh, he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. I remember in John's Gospel, that word hour, it's always about Jesus suffering and death, the appointed hour, the time uh, when he's going to suffer and give his life on the cross. Uh, so Jesus knows that the hour of his suffering and death is really close. Remember Judas, one of his 12 apostles, has already left the meal with his plan to betray Jesus. It won't be long before he's back, before Jesus is betrayed and arrested and tried and, and crucified. Jesus knows that this hour is near. But he also knows that it is through this hour of his suffering and death that he is going to glorify his father. Remembering that God's glory is a kind of visible shining forth of his invisible being. Maybe that kind of is a bit of a kind of strange thing to say. But God reveals himself in his glory. God's glory is a visible shining forth of God's invisible being. So how is it that Jesus' hour of suffering and death, how is it that Jesus lifted up on a cross uh, shows us God's glory? How does it kind of put on display certain attributes of who God is, of his invisible being? How does it make those things visible? Well, I think it's because at least two core aspects of who God is, his invisible being, are made visible at the cross. At the cross, when Jesus is lifted up on the cross, we see that God in his glory is holy. And on the other hand, we see that God in his glory is love. Two key aspects of God's invisible being that are made visible, gloriously visible at the cross. So first, at the cross, we see that God in his glory is holy. By holy, what do I mean? I mean that God is other. He's transcendent. He's pure. He's perfect, righteous, just. All of these things are kind of captured in this idea that God is holy. He's different to us. He's not in the same box as us. We're in the unholy bucket and he's in the holy bucket. God is holy. And Jesus lifted up on the cross shows us that once and for all. Jesus lifted up on the cross shows us that our flaws and failures and sin and imperfections, they're so serious that they can't just be forgotten about. They can't just be swept under the carpet. They can't be minimised or denied. 
a holy and just God must punish those sins as they deserve. That's that's part of what the cross shows us. And the just penalty of our sin from a holy and just God is death. Why? Because in our sin we have rejected God, the source of all life. We've cut ourselves off from him. Uh, So the punishment for that is death. The cross shows us that God in his glory is holy. This is part of who he is. It's essential to his being. Which is why in the Bible, say for example in Isaiah chapter 6, the angels around God's throne are saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. There's not many times in the Bible where uh, there's three a repeated word three times about an attribute of God, of who God is. Holy is one of them. Holy, holy, holy. He's completely and utterly holy. This is essential to who God is, and the cross shows us that. And yet, who is it that's lifted up on the cross? It's not me or you. It's Jesus, the Son of God. So the cross also shows us that God in his glory is love, incredibly loving. As I've said before, love isn't just something that God does like we do. Love is a part of who God is. It's essential to his being. Because uh, for kind of before the world began, we get a glimpse of it in this passage with references to the Father and the Son uh, kind of having dealings before the world began. And we know that there's the Spirit. So before the world began, uh, in eternity past, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit uh, lived together as God in loving community, one God in three persons, loving one another in humble and selfless love. That's who God is. Uh, But at, at the cross, this kind of invisible aspect of who God is is made visible in a definitive and once for all way. As the humble and selfless love that that had existed in the Trinity for eternity is put on display with God the Father giving Jesus his one and only Son and with Jesus, God's one and only Son, willingly giving himself for our sake, for our sins on the cross. So what does Jesus pray? He says, Father, glorify your Son that your Son might glorify you. He's saying, Father, I know that it's through me being lifted up on a cross that the world is going to see what you're like. That the world is going to see the humble and selfless love of the Trinity. That the world is going to see your holiness. So, Father, glorify your Son, that your Son might glorify you. This is what Jesus longs for. He longs for it also but because he knows that it's only by him being lifted up on a cross and bearing that punishment of death that we deserve that he can give people the gift of eternal life. And this is where uh, Jesus goes in verse 2. Notice Jesus says, uh, For you granted him, that is God the Father, granted the Son authority over all people uh, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. And notice that verse 2 starts with the word for, kind of because. So in Jesus' mind, as he's praying this prayer, uh, there's some kind of connection between verse 1 and verse 2. In verse 2, he's explaining why it is that God the Father must glorify him, 
must lift him up on the cross. And he gives kind of two reasons for that. The first reason is that God the Father gave him all authority. So God the Father who made all people and therefore has authority over all people kind of has entrusted that authority to Jesus, his son. And that includes the authority to judge all people. Jesus said that back in John chapter 5, verse 29. So Jesus is reminding his father, hey, Father, Father God, you gave me the authority to judge all people, authority over all people. And yet, what does Jesus do with that authority? Well, he doesn't just enter into the world to judge everyone. He enters into the world and he gives some people eternal life. That's the second part of verse 2. Which people does Jesus give this gift of eternal life to? Well, notice it's not exactly the same group of people. It's not all the people that the Father gave the Son authority over. That's every single person on the planet. But in the second half of verse 2, the people that the Father gave to the Son to give eternal life to, this appears to be a specific set of people. A group of people that the Father gave to the Son. And maybe you can see how we're kind of being, it's as if the kind of curtain's being pulled back into the spiritual realm, into eternity past, and we're getting a glimpse into the conversation, the community life between the Father and the Son. Jesus is saying to his Father, Father, you remember that before the world began, what did you do? You gave me authority over all people. That's one thing you gave me. But you also gave me some specific people to save from the judgment that you've given me, that they might have eternal life. And now, Father, it's time for the great act that will save them from that judgment. It's time, verse 1, for you to glorify me on a cross because I must die if they are going to live. I must bear the punishment that they deserve so that I can give these people that you gave me the gift of eternal life. Now, you might have questions or objections about this idea that God the Father gave Jesus his son a kind of specific people who would receive the gift of eternal life. Not all people, that's the first half of verse 2, but specific people. And I totally understand that. At first, it really does seem a bit unjust and unfair, doesn't it? That only certain people receive this gift of eternal life. And yet, this is not a full answer, but if your concern is what is just and fair, then really God the Father should have given his son authority to simply judge all people. He shouldn't have given him any people to save and have eternal life. Because what is just and fair is that all of us receive the judgment that we deserve for rejecting God, the source of all life. And yet God and his Father, in his overwhelming love and grace and compassion, gave multitudes of people to Jesus, his Son, to give them the gift of eternal life. I say multitudes of people. We don't know how many, but it's a heck of a lot. Like back in Genesis, God said to Abraham that his descendants would one day outnumber all the stars in the sky, all the, the grains of sand on the seashore. It's a lot of people. God's grace is kind of abundant. 
in giving people to Jesus, his son, to receive the gift of eternal life. And what is this gift of eternal life? Well, we see in verse 3, it's found in knowing the eternal God. Uh, Jesus says, And now this is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So the essence of eternal life is to actually know the eternal God, the God who has no beginning or end, the God who's always existed. It's being connected with God the Father through the work of Jesus the Son by the power of God the Spirit that brings eternal life. Not just knowing stuff about God, but actually knowing God. Being drawn into a deep spiritual relationship with him. A connection with him, like we saw in John 15, a bit like a vine and branches. It's a real connection that brings life and joy and peace. Sometimes people, uh, I've heard at least one person, I don't know how common it is, but uh, have described the the world we live in, spiritually speaking, as being a a cut flower world. And by that they mean that, that spiritually speaking, uh, in our sin, what have we done? We've cut ourselves off from God, the the source of life. And so spiritually, we're a bit like uh, some cut flowers in a vase. Uh, All of us look pretty good for a short time. Uh, But eventually we're going to die. Because that's what happens when you cut yourself off from the source of all life and everything good. So the the wonderful news of this passage, of Christianity as a whole, uh, is that God wants to make it possible for us to be reconnected with the source of all life, with him. Eternal life is found in knowing the eternal God. Uh, eternal life, uh, not just being a kind of uh, the hope of going to heaven when you die. Like that's part of it. But eternal life is about having a, a new quality of life right now. As you are made new. In John chapter 3, Jesus said that if you believe in him, you will be born again. You'll have new life. In John chapter 5, he said, if you hear the voice of him, Jesus, God's son, and respond, you will be spiritually raised from the dead right there. Of course, there's the hope of eternal life and the hope of heaven later on, but eternal life isn't just that. It's new life now and new life that goes on forever with God and his people. I wonder if you know this life that is found in knowing the eternal God. You might be here today and you're openly here as someone who said, yep, I'm not a Christian. I'm just here kind of checking out church, exploring Christianity. And we want to say that's great. We want DPC to be a place where anyone can be invited to come along or just choose to come along to think, what is it that Christians believe? And so if that's you, you you might have always sensed that there's something missing from your life. You've always had a hunger for something more. And I want to say it's that you don't know the eternal God. You don't know the God who made you and loves you and sent his son, the Lord Jesus, to die for you on the cross, that you might be reconnected with him. That through believing in Jesus, you might know him as your father through Jesus, his son. And that the Spirit himself might come and dwell in you. 
so that you're always connected with the eternal God and knowing eternal life. Right? If you don't know this life that comes from knowing the eternal God, let me urge you today to believe in Jesus, and to believe in Jesus, God's Son. Uh, on the other hand, you might be here uh, and you're someone who uh, would have been a, a professing to be a Christian for a really long time and yet what I've been talking about, what John's talking about in this passage about having a new life found in knowing the eternal God, uh, if you're honest, that doesn't reflect your experience of the Christian life. Maybe that's you. Like your experience of the Christian life perhaps has been mainly about doing things. You go to church, you uh, say some prayers, you observe some rituals like the Lord's Supper, you serve in some way, you give some money, like you, you do a whole bunch of stuff, uh, but if you're honest, it doesn't result in a real sense that you know God. You don't really have this idea that you've found new life, eternal life, in knowing the eternal God. And this can even happen if you're really diligent in studying the Bible. Quite something that uh, we Presbyterians are sometimes known for, you know, serious about the Bible. And yet there's a little warning. Back in John uh, chapter 5, Jesus said to the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem uh, that uh, his critique of them is that you study the scriptures diligently uh, because you think that in them you have eternal life. Uh, these are the very scriptures uh, that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. It's really possible to be around the Bible a lot, to be diligent in studying the Bible, to know lots of stuff about Jesus from the Bible, and yet still refuse to come to him in humble dependence, admitting your own need for him, admitting that apart from him there is no life to be found, and yet in him is eternal life. Now, let me urge you, if that's you today, don't let what other people might think concern you. You might be, oh, I've been going to church for 20 years. Like, it would be embarrassing to admit now that I never really knew God. Well, it would be worse to never know God, right? Let me urge you today to humbly come to Jesus and receive the eternal life that is found in him. Finally, in verses 4 and 5, you take a look there. Uh, what does Jesus long for in this moment? Uh, the hour of his suffering and death is drawing near. Uh, he longs to be restored to the glory that he had in his Father's presence. If you take a look at verse 4 there, uh, Jesus says, Father, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. Uh, and now, Father, glorify me in your presence. Uh, with the glory I had with you before the world began. So first, if you notice there in verse 5, there's the word had. Right? Jesus seems to be saying, well, I think he is saying, uh, that he had a glory in heaven with his Father uh, that was greater than the glory that he now has while on earth. How, how was it greater it's a little bit confusing and we want to be a bit careful here. 
In one sense, it was greater because while Jesus was with his Father in heaven, he hadn't embraced any of the weaknesses or limitations that come with taking on a human body. So Jesus, in eternity before the world began, didn't know what it was like to be hungry or tired. He didn't know what it was like to stub his toe. I don't know if he ever stubbed his toe. But maybe he did, you know, in the workshop as a carpenter, right? Like, like he didn't know what that was like. Didn't know what it was like to have a headache because he hadn't had a drink for a while. Right? He wasn't familiar with the weaknesses and limitations of being a human being. Uh, more importantly, he didn't know what it was like to experience pain of any kind, to bleed or to die. Something he's about to do. So with that in mind, Jesus could be praying to his father, Father, uh, give me a fully glorified body. He's not saying take away this body, I don't like it. No, 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 God, the physical creation is good, the body is good. But he is saying, he could be saying, Father, I long for a fully glorified body without any of these weaknesses or limitations. But I don't think that's the main thing that Jesus is praying about. I'm not 100% sure, but notice uh, the, the focus of what Jesus' prayer is. He speaks about the glory that he had with his Father, uh, the glory that he has in his Father's presence. Right? The focus that Jesus has is his experience of his relationship with God, his Father. Right? Before the world began, uh, Jesus, uh, God the Son, enjoyed uh, the constant personal presence of his Father. His father gloried in him, as it were. His father adored him and praised him and delighted him. His father loved him. And, of course, while Jesus was on earth by the power of the Spirit, he still knew that his father loved him. But the experience was different because he wasn't with his father. He wasn't in his father's presence. That's what he longs for. And on top of that grief of, of not being in his father's presence, uh, he also has the world around him who fail to glorify him as he deserves, who for the most part hate him and reject him and ultimately are going to kind of string him up on a cross. And now despite that grief, what has Jesus done? He's glorified his father on earth, he says in verse 4, by finishing the work that his father gave him to do. It was hard for him to experience any sense of separation from his father, not experiencing the, the full glorying of his father, the, the delight of his father being in his presence, but he committed to humbly and faithfully obeying his father all the way to the end. And, and he says, I've done it. And so now, Father, I want to be back with you. Glorify me in your presence. I want to be with you, where you can delight in me and I can delight in you, where we can adore one another, being in one another's personal presence. And the delight perhaps will be even greater because Jesus as God's son will have completed the work that his father gave him to do. I hope you can see that John 17 uh, is a pretty incredible passage in the Bible. Uh, and if you can't see that, it's not because there's anything wrong with John 17. Uh, it's because, uh, you know, I haven't done a good enough job. But it's a pretty incredible passage, isn't it? 
to be able to listen in on the prayers of Jesus, the Son of God himself. And to hear Jesus, God's Son, heart wide open before us. Uh, a guy named Philip Melanchthon, uh, who was kind of a successor of Martin Luther in the 16th century, around the time of the Protestant Reformation. Uh, Philip uh, Melanchthon uh, gave his final lecture on this passage, his final lecture before he died. And this is what he said. There is no voice which has ever been heard, either in heaven or on earth, no voice more exalted, more holy, more fruitful, more sublime than this prayer offered up by the Son of God himself. What an incredible privilege to listen into the prayers of Jesus, the Son of God himself, and to hear what he really longs for. And what do we learn about what he longs for? He longs to show the world his Father's glory. He longs to give his people the gift of eternal life that can only be secured through his death on the cross. He longs to give them the gift of eternal life that is found in knowing the eternal God. He longs for multitudes of people to be drawn into a relationship with God his Father through believing in him, God's Son, by the power of God the Spirit. That's what Jesus longs for. Now let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for your word. Um, uh, we acknowledge that in looking at this passage, uh, we ha- are, as it were, on, on holy ground, uh, hearing Jesus, our Lord and Saviour, your Son, uh, lifting up his prayers to you. And so we pray, Father, that uh, we would tune in uh, to the heart of your Son, our Lord Jesus, listening in to what he really longs for, hearing that he longs to show the world your glory, hearing that he longs to glorify you by giving his people the gift of eternal life, eternal life we know that is found in knowing you, the eternal God, Father, Son and Spirit. So we pray, Father, that you would draw us to yourself, Uh, Draw us for the first time to believe in Jesus, your son, and find life in knowing you. Or draw us afresh uh, that we might know you and know the life that's found in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.